So I'm going to pick up uh, this week where Chad left off last week, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to do uh, verse 8 um, down to verse 20. We are over halfway done with the book of Galatians, which is kind of weird to think about. It's six chapters long, so we're on the back half of it. If you haven't noticed uh, by now, this book is uh, about justification through faith alone in Christ alone. Okay, And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is... Uh, justification through faith alone in Christ alone. I know it's a big surprise, um, but it, it, there, basically there's been one theme since we've opened this book. I mean, there is one thing that, that Paul is speaking to, and though he's coming at it from different angles at different times and using different examples, um, like this is the point of this epistle. I think you guys get that. And, I, and in that, I want to make sure that we all remember the importance of, of why this epistle had to be written and um, why the church has it in their hands today. Um, it's of utmost importance uh, that we understand that and we do not uh, sway or move um, from um, that confession and that understanding that justification comes through faith um, alone. And uh, so we're going to take this kind of in two pieces today um, because this is kind of a weird text. I had a hard time with it. It's just, um, I don't know what it was, just the kind of the way it was written and divided up. I'm a, I'm a big pacing guy, so I like something that just kind of fits and paces along and, and, and grabs momentum, and, and this was kind of one of those sections that didn't really allow that. So we're going to break this into two parts. We'll take 8 through 12 first. So let's go ahead and read 8 through 12, Galatians chapter 4. Paul uh, saying, Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Little g. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain. The Galatian church was primarily made up of Gentiles, um, and those Gentiles primarily came out of a background of hardcore idolatry, just like almost all of the um, civilizations that we see the gospel traveling to uh, in the Bible. Um, and so these guys were part of hardcore idolatry too, their background. Not the law, necessarily, um, but pagan idolatry. And it's funny because we talk about atheists today and there's a lot of uh, maybe a growing population of people who like to be called atheists, which is that they don't believe in anything like that. But you really don't see anything like that when you look back in history. The, the problem wasn't that they didn't believe in a God, it's that be they believed in every kind of God. Like we would make a God out of nothing just because we had time on our hands. People were always wanting to worship. They were always looking for something that was uh, bigger and greater, but they were always... Um, looking at things that weren't bigger and greater. They were actually manifestations of their own sinful hearts. And these guys were the same way. And so the Galatians, just like a lot of the other places, the Corinthians, um, even in Colossae, uh, they were people that would have had temples uh, to um, gods that they would worship and sacrifices that were done to gods that they would worship and probably statues that were erected to gods that they would worship. And we see this referred to by Paul in, in 8. Um, where uh, he, he, he says, even though, uh, and even, even though the danger here, sorry, in this book, in the book of Galatians, is of these guys moving into uh, the Mosaic law, into uh, a law of works, um, and not necessarily back to their former brand of idolatry, Paul is saying to them here, this is still idolatry. It's still a form of idolatry. Uh, whether you go to something you haven't been to or not, you're going to a system other than Christ and justification through Christ alone. And in verse 9, Paul makes this clear here where he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world? In other words, it doesn't matter what flavor of false religion you subscribe to. If it's not about the work of Christ on our behalf, it's not legit. That's the bottom line. It's false. It's elementary. It's worldly. And these guys turning from the gospel to the Jewish law would be like them turning again to paganism. It wouldn't be any different in action. It's an inadequate system unto salvation. It's a false system. It's something that produces death, not life. It's something that keeps them in their sin, not moves them into righteousness. It's slavery, not freedom. 
So keep that in mind as we uh, go through this section right here. Notice also that Paul refers to their digression from the gospel to anything else as slavery. Paul actually refers to it as slavery. This is an obvious contrast to having been made free due to the preaching of the gospel. This is rather ridiculous when you look at returning to slavery from freedom as a progression. And this is exactly what's being foisted upon them. This is exactly what they're believing and what they're gravitating toward is slavery being a progression. And we'll talk a little bit more on that later. Verse 10, Paul goes on to say that this includes them observing days and months and seasons and years. Um, This is basically, these things are a labor of those under the Mosaic law, not a necessity for those who have never known it, like the Gentile Galatians, and yet here they are. Here they are buying the whole system. They're falling under a system that was never theirs to fall under. And Paul says here, you observe days which would equal Sabbath, months which would equal new moon, seasons which would equal feasts, and years that would equal Sabbath years, basically. They're buying the system. They're buying the law. Whether they know it or not, a yoke is being placed on them that puts the focus on them. A burden is being installed onto their backs, even if they're happy to take it. And it seems like they are. There's a false sense of righteousness that's being bought here. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, 16, 17. This is what Paul says to the Colossians who were actually dealing with the same um, temptations and the same pressure of the religious Jews that were around them and even coming in to the church. He says there, speaking to Gentiles, under Jewish pressures, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. And um, this is really what, what Paul's trying to protect these guys from here, is to say there's no substance in these things that you're being told there's substance in. The substance is in what you already have. Don't divert. Don't move. Right? Um, this pressure of the religious Jewish culture is not something that's just old. It's not just something that was part of the early church. It's something that actually still exists in some circles. We alluded to this Wednesday night uh, briefly. Is um, There are a group of brothers and sisters in Christ out there uh, that we refer to as Messianic Christians. And what they are is they're, they're typically made up of Christians... Um, of Jewish heritage who maintain their Jewish identity even though they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's a rad thing. So you've got Jews that have been converted that look to Christ as their only hope, that look to Christ as their justification, yet because their heritage is Jewish, they still um, observe and perform some of their the things that went along with that. They maintain that identity. The weird thing is that that, that um, has become very popular, this movement, even among Gentiles. And this is where it gets a little bit weird. I can understand a Jew who's, who's um, put their faith um, in Christ um, alone for justification, still being a Jew. So still looking like a Jew and doing what Jews do. But a Gentile who's never known that, who's never had that heritage, who's never had that identity, it's really weird when you see one of them go into that system. And and I've had friends. I've had many people that I know and that I love, that I've worshipped next to, that are Gentiles, that I have known that have moved into that system. They found it extremely appealing. And I think that you can imagine why they found it appealing. It's one thing to be interested and some of what the Jews were doing back then to get a better idea of it, and maybe even just see what it's about a little bit. It's another thing to subscribe to it because you think you're getting a bigger form of a religious experience. And that's the commonality that I've heard with a lot of my friends when I've sat down with them and talked to them. There's one thing I've seen in all of these, I would say the Gentile um, crowd that has gone into that, is there's, there's almost an arrogance. There's almost an elevation um, that they come at you with, that they have found something, that they've moved on to a different tier of Christianity, a different um, uh, level of Christianity than we're at by not experiencing all these Jewish um, you know, observances. 
And um, I think it can be dangerous. I think it can be extremely dangerous um, because it appeals to our flesh um, in ways that um, we need to keep in check. We need to always know why we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, and we need to understand first and foremost that Jesus um, is enough. Jesus is enough. Um, 11, Paul makes this harsh um, and yet kind of heartbreaking statement. He says, I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain. And um, that's kind of a wow statement. And what he is saying is, if you do this, it would be as though you never heard the gospel from me. Okay? Um, my words, my time, my care, my love, my investment, it would be as if it was empty. Um, and you can feel the pain and you can feel the hurt. You can sense that in this sentence uh, that Paul um, that Paul makes this statement, um, which is honestly always our worst, worst fear, fears as pastors, um, even here at the door. Um, and I pray that you guys understand this from us. Um, the gospel is truly why we do what we do. It is the reason why we do what we do, um, which brings us into verses 20 or 12 through 20. So let's go ahead and peek at 12 through 20 real quick. This Paul's going to get really personal here, and I think you're going to you're going to notice that real quick. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did no wrong. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a, a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? Where has it gone, basically? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you might make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now, this can be kind of weirdly worded. I think there's, it's kind of weirdly worded. Um, it can be misunderstood maybe in ways. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to take a lot of liberty here and just paraphrase this. We're going to try to get to the heart of this. Um, Paul's obviously getting personal here. And I personally find it comforting when I see the apostles get personal. <laughs> um, because I can sometimes think of them as if they're like superhuman in ways. Um, like they're just gospel robots uh, without any real relational connections and emotions. But they're not. And I think we see that clearly in many places in the epistles, and we see it clearly here, that Paul is not just a gospel robot. He's not uh, uh, just a hardened man that doesn't know the value of a relationship or what love is or what investment is or what uh, emotions are that come from relationships. He understands all this. Paul cares about these guys. And I think we see that clearly here. This is evident that Paul cares about these guys. He cares about their time together, and because of that, he cares about their souls. And this is what Paul is appealing to here on a personal level, is their souls. He starts by saying in 12, become as I am, just as I have become who you are. And he's simply saying, do not look now at me like I'm the enemy, just as when I came to you, you didn't. Okay? I didn't look at you like you, like you were the enemy. You didn't look at me like I was the enemy. We're all on the same plane. We all need the same thing. He's just reminding them. Because of this, let's be kind to each other. Let's abound in love. Let's maintain a spirit of unity and blessing. That the, the kind of blessing that we shared in the beginning when I first came to you. And then Paul talks about the condition in which he came to them. Verses 13 and 14. He reveals to us here that when he initially came to the Galatians, it was in a bad way. He was a little messed up. Like physically messed up. And though he was physically messed up, instead of them throwing him off so not to be inconvenienced by him, they actually pitied him and they took him in and they nurtured him. They welcomed him with love. They nurtured him with care and compassion. And he wants them to remember that. He wants them to look back to that time and the way that they welcomed him. Why? Because ultimately these Judaizers are turning the Galatians against Paul. 
They're turning them against Paul. They're trying to discredit the sincerity and the message that Paul brought them so as to lead them onto their team. There's a power struggle going on here. And their team is ultimately about them, the Judaizers, and their glory rather than the glory of Christ and the gospel. Paul says this basically in verses 16 through 18. These guys are using flattery. These false teachers are pumping these Galatians up so that they'll return the favor. So that they'll win the Galatians over to their own team. And I know that some of you are thinking right now, where's verse 15? Like you didn't even pay any attention to that. I'm going to go back to that right now because it's weird, right? It's an interesting one uh, in verse 15. Um, just briefly, we're all aware from this text that Paul had a, de a, a debilitating physical ailment, right? That was apparently sometimes uh, worse at some times than other times. We're also aware of the famous thorn in the flesh uh, that Paul had in which he referred to uh, he referred to it as a minister of Satan to keep him down, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, it is possible, according to what verse 15 seems to indicate, that Paul's thorn might have had something to do with his eyes. And this is a possibility on the basis of what he says in his statement, that he is convinced that they would have gouged out their own eyes and given them to him. Okay. Now, we don't know exactly what the eye trouble was, but it's possible um, that it was something that made him extremely unattractive, <laughs> maybe even a little silly to look at, okay? Um, there was an eye disease at that time that was common in those days, particularly apparently in these regions, that was characterized by excessive pus that runs out of your eyes. And I'm sorry if you're eating breakfast or whatever right now, but like that's apparently like that's what happened <laughs> with this disease. And if that's what this guy had, you can imagine how distractive that would be if you're trying to listen to this dude preach and teach, right? And his eyes are just snotting. Like, that would be a pretty odd thing. Um, something like that might even make it difficult to take him seriously. Um, it might it may make it even discredit the message that you're giving, one of, of hope um, and redemption and a powerful God uh, who saves mightily. Um, I remember one time... Um, one of my kids, I'm not going to say which one, we were going to a church and the kids were doing a play, right? Um, and it was a Christmas play. And one of my kids was a king. And so, like, he had this big beard on him. But that beard, like, got messed up right before he went on. And it was, like, over his entire face. He looked like Wednesday or like Cousin Ed. And he got up there and they're doing this play. And this dude's just, all you can see is this beard. And, and the, the, the parents, the adults lost it. Like, there was no, and the kids did so good. They kept moving on. They kept remembering their lines. They kept going through the motions and, and, and working this thing out, right? But, but the parents were lost a long time ago. We couldn't not see what we were seeing with this beard covering my son's face. It was absolutely hilarious. It was all that we could see and focus on. And I, and I think an ailment like this could be one of those things that happens too. Um, but what's really cool is, that it, it, is the way that Paul actually looked at this, which is found in 13 and 14, that because of that bodily ailment, he was actually able to preach the gospel to them with their undivided attention, it seems. In other words, no matter what the thorn in Paul's flesh was, it prolonged his stay with the Galatians, which turned into an extended sharing of the gospel or a gospel fest, which is cool. So God used this thing which Paul prayed would disappear, if this is the thorn in the flesh, to give way to more gospel opportunity with these guys. God working all things together for the good. But the bottom line in this section is, is really verse 19. Paul looks upon them as his little children. In what sense? In a gospel sense? Because that's all that matters to Paul. The gospel saving sinners and transforming lives is what matters to Paul. He is not about him. He is about him. So much so that when the gospel is challenged in his little children, he is in anguish over it until the gospel is restored in his little children. And we, the pastors at the door, like Paul, have one job, and that is to plant and promote and provoke and protect a biblical understanding of the gospel in you. When we sense that that is being opposed, when we sense that that is being challenged or misunderstood, all of our time and all of our energy and all of our emotion well go into protecting that and correcting that. 
The gospel is our primary concern, I promise you. This is our primary investment in you. This is why we are here. This is why we do what we do again. And when your gospel understanding is off or being questioned, we get fired up. We lose sleep. We live in anguish. We call meetings. We send letters. We say hard things, even unpopular things. And when people respond rightly to that gospel correction, we rejoice. We throw parties. We praise God. But when they don't, we weep and we break inside because the glory of God and the gospel for you is everything to us. I think you see that in this text with Paul. You see this in the heart of Paul, that he's not about himself. He's about the gospel. Meaning, otherwise translated, he's not ultimately about himself. He's about them because that's the best thing that you and I have for anybody that we know on this earth is to give them the gospel. When a marriage breaks up, it's a gospel hit. Okay? Marriage is not the unpardonable sin, but it has become so normal, everybody's doing it, that even the church has bought it. It's a gospel hit. When a relationship is severed, period, it's a gospel hit. We're about unity, we're a people of reconciliation. It's a gospel hit when it's broken apart, when it's torn apart. When we respond to a lost and a dying world with bitterness and anger rather than sorrow and compassion, it's a gospel hit. When we call evil good and good evil, it's a gospel hit. And when we read or listen to or promote false teachers and teachings, it's a gospel hit. Paul is emotional and he is concerned and he is vocal with these guys because the gospel is under attack and it is taking a hit And we see the heart of a pastor here, the heart of a human being who loves deeply the gospel and the people that the gospel is for. And we feel the same way. So please do not interpret our love for you concerning the gospel wrong. I titled this message, Don't Go Backwards. And it's because of that phrase that I see in verse 9. The main concern here is that these guys are going backwards with what they're doing and what they're buying into. And there are many reasons why we might be tempted to do so if we're not careful. As men, I know for me, for sure, I often have big doubts and small faith. Like I I wish I could somehow like switch those two around, but that's just the reality a lot of times of how I live. Big doubts, small faith. We doubt our own abilities many times and rightly so, but we also doubt about doubt God's abilities and his promises a lot of times. And this is where we get into trouble. And this is where we start getting it and doing stupid things. Um, these are weird times that we're living in right now. I don't think I need to tell you that. And they're nothing new to mankind or civilization throughout history, but they're just kind of new to us right now. Okay? But nonetheless, these are tough things. And they're unpredictable things. And they're scary things. And it is in these times that our faith in what we really believe becomes exposed. The tough stuff is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our faith. And when that happens, we start questioning things, starting with our faith and what we believe. And if we aren't strong, if our faith is not strong, if our faith is not secure and fully rooted and grounded, we'll start to think that the gospel isn't the ultimate answer, but that something else is. I do this all the time in my walk as a Christian, where I try to pick up the slack for what I think the gospel isn't doing. Okay? And it's mostly in times of pressure and times of doubt. Um, I had a stupid thing happen to me last week. God teaches me lessons all the time. He's always giving me real-life word pictures so that I can feel it, not just hear it. And... Um, Last Saturday, me and my wife came home from going camping, and our driveway was, like, clear of cars, which never happens. We always have the kids over and multiple cars in the driveway, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow my driveway off because I've been putting off blowing my driveway off for over a year. I, I promise you, it was, like, last spring when I thought, I need to blow the cinders and all the junk off my driveway, okay? So it's been a year I've been putting this off. So I came home, and I strapped that backpack blower on, and I went to town on this driveway, and it looked so good. 
and then the sky went green and the lightning shot sideways and within minutes that driveway was worse off than it was before I got to it. What are the chances that it would happen on that day? And I just sat there, scratched my head. I looked just with sarcasm. I'm talking to God under my voice. Like, this is just typical, isn't it? You know what I mean? And the reality is that this is exactly what my life looks like whenever I move away from Christ, whenever I think he isn't enough, and I take matters into my own hands. I clean them up initially, right? And they're just as worse off within moments than they were before I started working on them. Okay? That's the reality of me and my ability to make things nice. And I felt like God was just telling me, you know what, dude? I'm, I'm the cleanup crew, not you. Like, you need to get back. Um, and I also, what I really heard out of it was God say, don't go backwards, man. Don't start thinking in ways that are just false. Don't go backwards. I have seen God do some amazing stuff in my life, but I've never seen an ocean part in front of my eyes. But the Israelites have. They saw and they experienced the most unlikely miraculous deliverance ever recorded as God rescued them out of slavery and guided them on a journey to possess a land that would be their own, the promised land. And they realized pretty quick that they wanted the promised land, but not the journey. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, they said this. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. It would have been better if he would have just killed us back there. Let us live it out and die there. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly. And what they're saying is, we don't want to be liberated like this anymore. We want to go back to slavery. We want to go back. We don't want to wander for our freedom or in our freedom any longer. We want to return to bondage where it was familiar, where it was predictable, where it made more sense, and just die there. I have seen a lot of questioning over the last few weeks in many Christians unfold right before my eyes. Thinking again like the world. Responding again like the world. Going back to a construct in which there is no life. Thinking that maybe the gospel isn't the real answer to what we see around us. But our own ability to fix things is the real answer to what we see going on around us. And I would say to you, and Paul would say to you, don't go backwards. Because the problem is that none of us possess the ability to fix what's actually wrong. We cannot actually fix what's broken here. We can attempt to reform systems and reform authorities and reform governments and reform the actions of the people, but we cannot reform hearts. And this is the crux of all the evil that surrounds us. The heart of man is desperately wicked. And it is in this deep, dark place that we cannot travel down to to repair. But the gospel can. Do you believe that? The gospel can. It alone can plumb those depths. It alone can do surgery in the dark. And it is the message and it's this message alone, spoken in a fresh way, that can truly reform and give life to those who are experiencing fresh hurts and fresh fears. Terry prayed this earlier. What a gospel opportunity. Let us be opportunists right now. If you go down, which almost any given day you can, to downtown Bend, and you stand shoulder to shoulder with some of those people marching, you have something they need. You have something that their march is never going to produce. And it's possible that people are ready to hear it right now. Don't go backwards. Don't, don't buy into the narrative, the false narrative, that the gospel isn't enough right now. We need to actually go and do something. Now, I'm all for doing things that, were, that are within reason. I'm all for doing things that God puts in front of me that make sense biblically, that are gospel-driven. But void of the gospel, 
Nothing that you and I put our hands to is going to change a thing. The only reformation that can truly, truly change the landscape of this world is Christ in the hearts of sinners, redeemed, restored, new brains, new ways of thinking, an actual ability to love others the way that Christ has loved us. That's what the gospel gives us. Do not go backwards. Do not think that is untrue and not working well enough. Don't just try Jesus on like he's a pair of shoes. Put him on as though your life depends on it because it does. Don't feel the need to improve upon what you've been given in Christ like the Judaizers teach and like the Galatians are attempting to do because you cannot add or subtract to something that is perfect. The gospel is perfect. What Christ has done and is doing is perfect. Don't add or take away from it. Do not look for something new apart from what Christ has offered you because always lead to death, especially new ones. Don't go backwards. The gospel is more necessary to these people of this nation today than it's ever been, and you have it. So what are we doing with it? If we really want to do something, let's carry that gospel to a weary people. Let's, let's carry that gospel to a people who have had injustices done to them. Let's carry that gospel to a people who don't know how they're going to carry on in a world like this. Let's press on by faith through this wilderness, because this is really what's going on, guys. Is we, we are Israel in that sense. The gospel of Jesus Christ has parted the sea and delivered us out of our bondage and our slavery. And you and I right now are traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land by faith in Christ. And we will reach that promised land on the merits of Christ and his work. Let's grab as many people as we can to travel with us. Grab them. Say, I'm, I'm going to this place. Come with me. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing in the wilderness right now. So let's be that voice in the wilderness. Christ is enough. God, thank you that your word um, refreshes um, my soul and revives my soul um, and keeps me in check um, every time I look at it. Um, I pray just, just as was prayed already before by Brent this morning that, uh, that your church would be purified, um, more effective, um, more loving, um, stronger than ever as a result of the pressure that we're experiencing right now. Um, God, by your mercy, um, protect us with the thoughts of our hearts and, and minds at times that, um, that maybe you're not enough and we need something else. It's just a lie. Um, so help us to know and um, uh, to spot that lie every time it pops up immediately. Um, thank you for being enough, not just for me, um, but for whosoever will listen and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. It was. That was good because I, I, I uh, even in my own home right now, uh, some of my kids and, and acquaintances with our family are, are really trying to figure things out right now. They're looking for answers, and they're not necessarily looking to the Bible for answers. They're, uh, they're seeing a broken world. They're seeing things they've never seen or experienced before, and they're trying to figure out solutions, and they're trying to figure out how they fit into this. And my tendency is to want to get angry with them or to get frustrated with them and be like, how can you not know these things? And yet God has patiently worked in my life over the years to show me to, you know, to get me to these places. And, and we just need to have an extra measure of grace right now. I'm glad that people are seeing the brokenness in the world right now afresh because it, that's what ultimately, you know, when nothing's broken, you're not looking for a solution. Right. Uh, people are looking for solutions. Young people, especially right now, are trying to figure this out and they're being challenged and they're not, they're not ready to go here yet. 
they're not ready to go to the gospel quite yet sometimes, but, but as they try to go down this road of, well, maybe we need more education, maybe we need more money, maybe we need better politics, maybe we need, all of those things are gonna fall short, they always do. Right. And they're, they're gonna have to come back to something that doesn't. And so as, as parents and, and you know Christians right now that are watching these guys navigate this and flop around a little bit, um, rather than pounce on them and, and call them names and get frustrated with them and get angry, pray for them lovingly humbly be patient with them mm -hmm. let god's spirit do a work in their life and and keep pointing them back to the truth of the gospel like you said because that's the only the only thing we really have that will fix this right and that's it right um but th it, this is good in so many ways yeah it <clears throat> i mean we all know the gospel is the answer but we were talking the other day i can't remember where we were sitting around we were dialoguing about um how we need to be truth tellers and and right now we have an opportunity to tell the truth um uh, with our kids, a lot of kids that lock themselves in their room, and some parents can't even remember the last time they had a dialogue with their kids about something. <laughs> right now, there's some there's some dining room table talks going on. Like yeah. I've I've heard of, of them happening, where parents and kids are coming together. So here's the opportunity to tell truth. It's also the opportunity to show compassion by listening, and not just shutting people down, right. but by sympathizing and showing them that we actually care about what you think and what you feel. It's real, right? But then the way that we wield the truth is what matters next. So we're, we're not we're not here to we're not here to, to slash people and chop their heads off with the truth. We're here to give them a pillow. We're here to show them a pillow to lay their head on right now. Yeah. Like you know what? Someone dealt with this. Like like I, I feel every bit of what you're feeling, and there's an answer. You know. Yeah. And so it's a fresh way for even parents to be able to learn how to share the gospel in a fresh way with their kids right now, in a way where it actually matters. You know? Yeah, if you've been a Christian for a long time, a lot of these things, you've, you've kind of been there, done that, dealt with it, reconciled these things. And so some of the stuff that's going on right now, I'm not surprised by. I, I've seen it before. I'll see it again. It's, it's stuff that we've all kind of. But for a lot of people right now, this stuff is, it, these are things they've never been faced with before. Yeah. And I can think of things in my life that when I first heard about like the Holocaust, for instance, I was, I was undone. I couldn't believe it had happened. I, I didn't know what to do. And so, you know, just again, know that people are, are dealing with hard things right now mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know I've seen some I've seen some responses and reactions that I, I was like kind of shocked by quite frankly yeah. and and we do you know we see that yeah. some people right now especially Christians aren't being very gracious aren't being right. very loving aren't right. being very patient or understanding and, and we right. need to you know lead the way in that yeah um, and, and I think one of the one of the ways that um, that we need to be careful not to go backwards with our thinking right now is that there is kind of a guilt narrative that's being put out. Okay? Yeah. And this isn't meant to be controversial. It's just the way it is. There's a guilt narrative that's put out. And there's a lot of parents that have lived a long time that are Christians that are hearing their kids um, very powerfully and very passionately, um, you know, put this guilt narrative out. And there's some parents that are starting to feel guilty. They're starting to feel like, you know, what Christ has made me, you know, what I am in Christ. And they're even questioning what they think is true. So now they're even questioning things that yeah. they know they're not like this and they know they're not like that, but you're, they're hearing so much of it that they are, that they're going, maybe I am. <laughs> and, 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 so, and, and so we just need to be careful. We need to, we need to be steadfast um, and clear-headed with um, how we, you know, how we view the world through Christ, you know, yeah. and, and know that we don't have to, like, that's okay. That's secure, it's not changing. Like, this is the right way to look at this. Yeah. This is the right way to deal with this. Self-examination, right, at a time like this is a good thing. Yeah. You know, are there things in me that I, you know, I mean, I'm always kind of asking God to reveal my sins and, the, and the, my shortcomings and things I don't see as sin. And, and so it's always a good time for us to, you know, Lord, is there something you want me to learn from this and see from this? Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, you know, I don't think we always realize the depths of our, our sin and, and where we go. And so self-examination is good. But, yeah, yeah. ultimately, even in, in the guilt that I start to feel when I start to realize my shortcomings, What's the answer? Yeah. It goes back to, I kneel before Christ and I ask him to forgive me and to, right. to cleanse me and to change me. Right. Um, yeah. Did you have anything in that text that was interesting, Terry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, really, I really appreciate um, all that you said. There's a couple of things that kind of jumped out at me. And, and one, one of them is, is the backlash that these Christians had um, Galatian Christians that heard the gospel, received the gospel, but when Paul revisits that gospel and the sufficiency of that gospel and the completeness of that gospel and all of that, 
he feels like an enemy yeah, because exactly. he's bringing them back to the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know. I think probably any 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 pastor that's had you know uh, very much experience when you bring people back to a truth that they know that sometimes you somehow become the enemy. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to be enemies. Yeah. We don't want to be combative. But um, we've got one thing. Um, and sometimes people want us to minister to them this way or some other way or something that they have in their mind. But at the, at the end of the day and really at the beginning of the day, uh, all we have is to encourage them in the truth and the gospel. That's it. Right. And the way, that, the way that these things start, they don't start there. They start in a way uh, like it did with the Galatians where uh, there was something... There was some kind of teaching, some kind of something, whether it was the observance of the Jewish laws or, or, or just you know this kind of quasi-Judaism, that that came along, that promised to make them feel better about themselves. And uh, it's empty, and um, the gospel ultimately heals us, but it doesn't start out by making us feel better about ourselves. It just doesn't. And uh, sometimes I think that that. Even Christians uh, will think that the job of the pastor is to make them feel good about themselves, and to the degree, like like you said, that that we're we're varying from the truth or coming off point with that, um, we're not we're not sharing the truth. We're not, you know, uh, doing what we we're not giving them the only thing that we've got. Yeah. And so it just ends up being uh, empty. And there's a lot of, a lot of demand uh, for that uh, these days as to, mm. with all that's going on, I don't feel very good. I want you to make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's a loser, ultimately. Yeah. That's a loser. Yeah. And it, sure. it seems like, I, I don't know, I guess we probably sound like a one-note kind of a church sometimes because the only drum we tend to, to bang on is the, the gospel who Jesus is and what he's done. That's our hope. And I find people getting frustrated with us sometimes mm-hmm. because we're not more political. We're not more We're not this. giving them five things to go we're on and do. We're not that. And it's yeah. like if we thought that those were there were answers there, we would pound that drum. Absolutely. But we don't see any answers there. I look at, I look at what's going on. You know, you read some people what their solutions are out there right now, what they think needs to happen in order to solve all these things. And it's just, it's lunacy. Yeah. It's like none of that's going to fix anything. We know the answer. And so even, you know, ultimately, you know, stop, stop banging on drums that aren't going to get you anywhere and start being honest about what those things are. Mm-hmm. We don't need more education. We don't need more money. We don't need fewer police officers. We don't need all these things are silly. Right. We need Christ. Yeah. We need Jesus Christ, the belief in his death, burial, and resurrection, and his righteousness imputed to us. That's what we have hope in, period. Yeah. And that's the drum we will keep banging on. And we won't stop, quite frankly. And if you're finding answers elsewhere and you think that we're wrong about that, you're going to continue to be frustrated yep. with, with us and what we teach. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. We won't apologize for nope. beating one drum. Nope. And it is because we love you. We're, this isn't a challenge or a threat. Yeah. Like, like this, this is literally why we, why we exist. Yeah. It's for the gospel drum. This, this is love incarnate, and we don't, we don't have a better way to love than the gospel. There just isn't one. Yeah. And, and I think that's to, what you see here evident, in yeah. that, like that text. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Is there, there isn't, uh, there's a lot of things that sound like it. Yeah. There's a lot of things that could make you just like uh, they were being seduced by, you know, the, the, those that came on that, that, like David said, our attention's on you. We're trying to make you feel good about themselves, but it was really about the teachers feeling good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that dynamic hasn't changed. The landscape is full of that. Yeah. But but there's no goodness in it. There's no salvation in it. There's no deliverance in it. There's no freedom in it. It's all slavery. Correct. Yep. And anything that's not to do with the person and work of Christ is going backwards. It just is. Yeah. You know, in what Paul was saying to them, it's the same thing. Yep. It's it's if it's not that, it's going backwards. So so there's one thing I really wanted to focus on here, and I didn't at all because I just love this this little phrase i'm sure you guys know in verse nine. nine yeah now that you have come to know god or rather to be known by god i didn't even hit that but like it, it's it's worth a honorable mention what's the difference between those two things why would he even say that or kind of correct himself or 
give the other side of that. I think we we liked the idea that you know we know this person or we know that person, um, but to be known by somebody in, in in the way that this is phrased means that God knows everything about you, past, present, and future. He knows you, and 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 He loves you and He wants you still. Yeah. And to me, that's the that's the greater you know who I know. You know what, the fact that I know Him is great, but the fact that He knows me mm-hmm. that, that's in that brag intimate about. and personal yeah. way. Yeah. That's that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the age, I mean, that's that's what Jesus said, right? Matthew seven yep. is that uh, the 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 problem with those that that came and said, Lord, we did this, we did that, we did all the stuff, you know, we cast out demons, we prophesied, we all the stuff, and Jesus said, depart from me, because why? Because you didn't know me, yeah. because I never knew that's you. Right. Yeah, yeah, those are scary words. They are scary it's words. Good scariest to be known words by God. in the Bible, absolutely. <laughs> and so, with those that that that, um, because God knows us in this sense in one way, and that's we're loved by God. So, how can you turn your back on yep. love to all this empty stuff? Exactly, exactly. And yet we 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 don't all do it like maybe on a big scale where we're like changing our religious system or something like it looks like maybe these guys are about to do, but we we do it pretty regularly on small scales in small bites, right? Um, and so we can see how we can be known by God, loved of God. We could be little children of the faith, um, but, but have a tendency to go backwards it, at times in ways. And we just need to, we just need to understand. Uh, we need to be aware of that and know that it doesn't make any sense ever. To go. There, there is nothing better. There's nothing to go back to, you know what I mean? But we're so depraved that we, you know, the grass is always greener sometimes or um, or sometimes you just get so far away from something that, you know, makes the heart grow fonder. Is that the old saying? Yep. So it's like, oh, I, you know what? I used to think this is, you know, how this treated me or what the response was, but maybe I was wrong, you know? Maybe it, maybe it was all in my head or maybe I don't remember it right or maybe, you know what I mean? I do that all the time where I know something's going to like, you know, like a bug lamp, dude, or, you know, go away for five minutes. Like, I'm not sure if that really stunned me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, uh, story I, of my life. I, I love the, the way that uh, Paul here in, in, in Galatians and also in Colossians, he talks about the elemental things of the world. So the things that are, there are things, there are powerful things that pull us away from the gospel. Mm-hmm. And it's like elemental, basic, just kind of hardwired in sinful thinking, like, I can fix this. I can fix me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can do it. Yeah. That's pretty hardwired in right you're the captain of your own fate you you know you you sail your own ship you make your own decisions you can be your own man and it can come out good mm-hmm. the more you lay hold of that the more likely you're to have success there's another one that 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 says uh that you know uh that, that's just built into us it's an elemental thing that pulls us away from the gospel and that is that um you know, you, there is no such thing as a free lunch. You earn whatever you get. That's the way the world goes around. And so we're always, that you know, the gospel is there, but there's always this gravitational pull that we need to stay focused on this because doing nothing or just going into parade rest, we will drift away. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Awesome. Yeah. Is, are you next week? Yeah. Cool. I think. Yeah. So I, I mentioned that um, that one verse in Colossians about the new moons and, you know, don't let anyone judge you, you know, on mm-hmm. food or drink. But right before that, he actually says that, that same, it's you funny how, how much of a parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Right. It's, I mean, that you could take that, cut it out, paste it, in paste it right, right there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thought. Same thought. Cool. Well, no questions or I didn't get anything to hand, but uh, let me check here before we sign off. Jordan's not seeing much. You know, one of the one of the evidences that uh, you know God, or rather are known by God, is, is the love you have for the people yeah. around you. And again, if, if we're going to be known for something, you know, people will know that we're followers of Christ, that we're truly His disciples by the way that we love. Mm-hmm. And and the world needs that desperately right now. Yeah. And God's Spirit has made that possible for us to, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So, yeah. you know, let's be kind of the, uh, the first responders in regards to love and hope out in the, out in the world right now. It's, it's right. desperately needed, and, and hopefully we see more and more people coming 
you know, the church grows because of this. In some ways, I can, I can see the church shrinking through some of these things. Yeah. But hopefully, we start to see more people. The true church. Meeting, yeah, yeah, meeting Christ yeah. through this time. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So as John, as John used to say, little children love one another, right? That's Right. Well, yeah. And so there's just one other thing probably taking too long. But, but um, oftentimes, people want to define what love is in a way that Scripture doesn't. And they say, well, if you love me, you'll either make me feel like this or you'll, you'll, you'll treat me like this or something like that. And, and uh, we, have to let, we have to let Scripture and the gospel define what love is. Because sometimes if you tell people um, you know, some, some truthful things, they might not like it and they say, well, you're not loving me. So when we say love, little children love one another, it's in the context of the truth. You know, because John says that, you know, about yeah. about us walking in the truth. So, um, I guess my point was is that uh, we are to be very loving, but our loving as pastors and as to and even to one another is to be in the context of loving, in the context of what the Bible says love is. Mm-hmm. For sure. Very good. Well, Wednesday night. Yeah. See you Hope on Wednesday back. night. See you here. Hopefully. Uh, next Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, those of you who can come, yep. and we look forward to it. It'll be uh, much better to be together. It will be, and we, we're not exactly sure how all this is going to work out, but come and be surprised. <laughs> yeah, we've, we felt the same thing you guys are probably feeling. The thrill is gone when it comes to live streaming yeah, yeah, right. and not being together. So We're over it. Well, I'm <laughs> sure you're over looking it, forward. Yeah, absolutely. So. so thanks for your patience and hanging in. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's say a quick closing prayer. Father, we... Uh, we're so grateful to be able to say that uh, not not so much that we know you, but we are known by you. What, what a thing that is. And, and thank you, Father, that uh, knowing everything about us, uh, you still sent Jesus to die in, in our place, uh, to take on the punishment that we deserved and to give us his righteousness, Lord, and that we can receive that by faith. Thank you for that good news that changes everything. Thank you that that is our hope and that is the, the greatest thing that we can offer anyone out there right now uh, who's looking for answers and who's seen the brokenness in the world and who doesn't understand what's going on. Jesus Christ is the answer. And so uh, let us hold him up high, exalt his name, and and by your spirit, Lord, would you use us to to lead others to your son, uh, to lead others into relationship with you, and ultimately, as we travel through this wilderness area, that we would grab as many people as we can to bring them to the promised land, Lord, that that you would just uh, use us in that way to bring more and more people to you. Um, Thank you, Father, for loving us, for sending your son, and and for everything that this uh, church is about. We pray, Lord, that as we gather again, that, that we would be, um, it, that absence would make the heart grow fonder, that we would come together and be more unified, uh, more effective, and uh, just more in love with each other and with you than we were when all of this started, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless.